Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Tonight we're going to talk about fight like a girl. Do you ever remember... Back in your younger days, being told, you run like a girl. Anybody ever taunt you with that on the playground? You throw a ball like a girl. Well, duh. Um, one time when Whitney was in middle school, they have, were having their track and field day, and uh, one of the little boys in her class laughed at her and said, a girl can't run in a skirt. So she signed up for the hurdles race. <laughs> and did you come in first? Second. She came in second and walked by him. I'm sure it was a very sweet disposition and said, that's how you run in a skirt. (laughs) So tonight we're going to talk about fighting like a girl. Uh, We're living in an age where our world wants to blur the lines between the genders. Uh, How many genders now are there? It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Um, And during this, too, exactly, during this time, this season, I boldly proclaim I'm a girl. I'm a girl. God created me, female, and I'm thankful. We didn't get to choose our DNA. We didn't get to choose our gender. We didn't get to choose our birthday, our time slot in history. Uh, There's a lot of the challenges that we face that we'd have no choice in. A lot of things that we didn't get to choose, but we get the choice of what kind of woman we're going to be. We get the, y'all gonna have to help me, okay? We get that, thank you. We get that choice. And I'm just gonna tell you, after all, we've had a whole month of real talk. We've talked about some pretty deep subjects. But tonight I'm gonna talk to you about fighting like a girl because I'm gonna be the kind of woman that shakes hell. I'm just telling you, there are many things I can't do. And I could give you a long list, I won't give you the whole list. I am hopeless at sports. So I'm just telling you, if there's ever any reason for me to look at a ball, throw a ball, kick a ball, anything like that, you don't want me on your team. I stink. Couldn't read a map to save my life. Thank God for GPS that talks to you. And I can't follow it when I'm watching it because I still can't. They have to tell me. I'm still not sure I'm pronouncing Worcestershire sauce right. There's a lot of things I can't do. And quite honestly, sometimes I think I'm a complete mess. Thank you, Emily. Anybody else there? Sometimes I'm just a mess. A mess is something that's in disorder. You ever feel like you're in disorder? Uh, Cluttered, confused, that's what a mess is. But what a mess is not, it does not mean that I'm disqualified. It does not mean I'm unworthy, and it does not mean I'm not enough. I may not have all my ducks in a row. In fact, they may be squirrels running in all different directions, but I get a choice in what kind of woman I'm going to be because I'm powerful, I can pray. Y'all, I'm doing better than you're acting. I can fast, I can worship, I can fight. The spirit of the living God lives inside of me. And I am a force to be reckoned with. And so are you. Because when we pray, hell shakes. I give the devil grief every day of my life and I take great pleasure in it. I wreak damage to his kingdom every day. Every time I take a step 
in the name of Jesus, his kingdom disintegrates a little bit more. And I dance about it because I'm victorious. My family will be saved. My family will be saved. My children and their spouses will be blessed. They will be fruitful. My grandchildren will have a godly heritage. Come on, ladies. What kind of ladies are we going to be? I have been anointed. I can break generational curses. I don't care what was in my family before me, and there's a bunch of mess back there. But when it came to me, it's going to stop because I'm going to break some things that my kids are not going to fight. I'm going to break some things that my grandchildren are not going to fight. I'm going to break some things that should the Lord tarry, my great-great-grandchildren don't even know anything about because it's never been passed on. I am hell's worst nightmare. I'm just telling you. And when the enemy draws near me, when he trespasses a boundary that I'm set, I remember Sister Vicki telling about one time, she I believe she was in her house, and the devil was bothering her, and you drew the line on the floor and said, don't cross it. We can set boundaries in our life, and the devil is just dumb enough to try to cross them, but when he crosses a boundary that I've set, he's the one that trembles, not me, because that's my territory. That's my ter And the reason, I told you I'm a mess, I told you there's stuff I can't do, but what I understand is it's not up to me. <laughs> I'm Gideon. I don't have to know how to fight. I don't have to know how to put words together. I don't have to know how to pronounce. I don't have to know how to read a map. I have to know how to call on the name of Jesus. And when I call on his name, he takes care of it all because I belong to him. It's his power that I know I'm just, I'm just reminding you of some stuff. But all this heavy stuff that we've been talking about... Now we're going to talk about how you put these things in action. Because when we call on the name of Jesus, it's his power that works through me. It's his power, not mine. And I understand that whatever the enemy does, says the weapons of our warfare are mighty. They're spiritual. They're pulling down of strongholds. It says that the, any weapon formed against us will not prosper. It doesn't say it won't hit us. It doesn't say it won't hurt us. It says it won't prosper. That means it won't carry out its intended use. The devil sends something against you that's meant to kill you or meant to stop you or meant to make you give up. It will not prosper as long as you're standing on the foundation of God's word. Because I understand that no matter what the enemy does to me or against me, God will either overrule it or undo it or he's going to redeem it and serve his purpose with it. And when I know that, I think, well, I'm just going to fight like a girl. I'm thankful God created me to be a girl. So the first thing we need to know when we're going into battle is what is it we're fighting? We can't, otherwise, if we just think, okay, I'm going into this battle. I don't know who it is I'm fighting. I'm just going to. We're beating the air because it's the nature of the battle that determines the nature of the strategy. If I don't know what the battle is, I don't know how to fight it. And anything I'm doing, I'm, I'm wasting time and energy. Uh, back in the spring, I got sick couldn't get into my doctor's office and have a little bit of impatience uh, so I went to urgent care and uh, they said you've got allergies go home take something over the counter so I did two weeks later I'm still fighting this allergies so I went back to the same urgent care and she said welcome to Indiana it's, it's allergies take some Claritin so now I've been dealing with it uh, two weeks later been dealing with it for a month finally went to my doctor called and got in my doctor he ran some tests, and he said, you don't have allergies. You've got pneumonia. You've got pneumonia in both lungs. Well, I'd been fighting allergies. I've been taking medicine. I've been drinking liquids. I've been resting, and I've got pneumonia. I'm fighting it in the wrong way. Yeah. 
I'm taking the wrong medicine. And that's how it is in these battles. If we don't know what we're fighting, we can, we can expend a lot of time and energy and not create any victory, not have any victory. So I have to identify the battle so I know I have the appropriate weapon. Because some battles, I know y'all have heard this every time <laughs> this month, every night this month, but some battles are natural and some battles are spiritual. And we fight those on completely different planes. So I've got to know. Because Ephesians 6 and 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high place. There is an unseen world that surrounds us every day. And some of what we're battling, some of what we call stress, some of what we call anxiety, some of what we call depression, some of what we call some of these things we've been talking about is spiritual warfare. It's not a natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. But the good news is 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So if I'm fighting a spiritual battle, I need a spiritual weapon. If I'm fighting a natural battle, I need a natural weapon. A lot of times we want God to fix something that he's given us the power to fix. A lot of times we go to God and we're declaring and decreeing and whatever other words, uh, speaking his word over something that he has given us the power to fix, something that's natural. Um, we can command all we want, speak the word of God all we want, but he probably isn't going to make us our excess weight fall off. If we've had a bad budget and we're in debt, he's probably not going to shower money from the sky. I'm being facetious here. <laughs> uh, if, if our rude neighbor keeps knocking on our door and interrupting our mealtime, standing in the prayer line, it's not like we have a prayer line for overweight and a prayer line for, uh, <laughs> prayer line for rudeness and a prayer line for give me some money. There, these things are within our power to fix. We can draw boundaries with our neighbor. We can get on a budget. We can go on a diet. These are things that we fix. So we've got to determine, is this battle natural or is this battle spiritual? Because when we, the battle is spiritual, we do it on a different plane. And the first thing we do is go to God in prayer and we ask, is this battle for me to fight? Just because it's a battle doesn't mean it's yours to fight. The thing is, as women, we're natural-born fixers. And many times we get involved in things that we have no business getting involved in. So the first question we have to ask God, when we've determined this is a spiritual battle, this is something I need God to take care of, we need to ask him, do I engage in this? Do I fight this battle? There is a, a story in 1 Samuel 30 that has always puzzled me, but it's where David and his men were gone. They were coming to Ziglag. And the Amalekites invaded their territory, and this enemy burned David's camp, captured all their wives and all their children, all their, took all their people, and took them away. And understandably, David's men were very upset with him. They came against him. They were very upset with him. But the thing that puzzles me is David's response. David's lost his belongings. He's lost his people, his children, his wives. But he sends for the ephod. He tells the priest, bring me the ephod. Let's inquire of the Lord. And he asks the Lord, should I pursue? Well, of course you should. It's your wives. Wives. <laughs> wives. Of course you should pursue. The enemy took your belongings. Of course you run after him. 
But David knew what we don't know sometimes. He knew if God's not in it, it doesn't do me any good to fight it. So he asked God, even though it's a good cause, he asked God, do I pursue? God said, pursue. You're going to overtake them and you're going to recover everything. You're going to recover all. So the cause may be just, the cause may be noble, but that doesn't mean we get involved. We're not, we don't have to attend every battle that we're invited to. Because if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. He'll make you get involved in good causes. But you're so busy in these good causes, fighting good fights. They just have nothing to do with you and they're not your fight to fight. But you spend your time and your energy and your resources. And then when the battle comes that you're to fight, you're exhausted and you're depleted. And we're like, God, why did you leave me? I didn't leave you. You've been fighting stuff I didn't tell you to fight. So the first thing we ask is, God, is it for me to fight? Romans 8.37 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. To be a conqueror is when you go into a conflict and then you come out with more than you had when you went in. We're more than a conqueror. When we go through battles, we should come out with spoils. So we don't just win. We come out with spoils. So I only want to go in battles where there are spoils. Does that make sense? I want to ask the Lord, is this a battle for me to fight? I don't want to waste my time getting involved in every argument on Facebook. My goodness, couldn't we? Couldn't we? Aren't there some... On Facebook. Mm-hmm. Don't waste your time telling everybody like it is and setting everybody straight. Waste of time. Quit spending your time and energy expressing your opinion on every matter because we're not, again, we're not obligated to participate in every conflict that we're invited to. When you choose your battles wisely, two things will happen. The first thing is you'll fight less battles. You'll fight fewer battles. And the second thing is you'll fight the battles, the right battles, with amazing strength because God will fight through you. So ask God. That's the first thing. We ask him, is this for me to engage in? He will speak to you. He will order your steps. Then the next thing we ask him is, well, what weapon do I use? How do I fight this battle? Do I fight or do I stand still? The Old Testament is full of battles that the children of Israel fought, and all of the strategies were varied. It's an, it's an interesting study. They didn't always fight the new battle in the way they had, fit, had fought the previous battle. And I wrote down a few. Uh, the Amalekites, Israel was fighting the Amalekites, and you remember they were in the valley, and Moses was up on the mountain, and as long as Moses' hands were raised, his arms were raised, there was victory in the camp, victory in the battle. Then another battle they fought was Jericho. Well, Joshua didn't stand off with his arms raised and said, we're going to do it the same way. Jo this battle, they, they marched around the city and the walls fell. In Joshua 11, the Bible says the Lord handed the enemies over to Israel. So they didn't have to do anything. The Lord handed them over. Uh, there are times that we stand still and the Lord fights for us. So that's why we have to ask God, what do I do? Do I stand still? Do I go? Would, because if we're going to rush in and fight, the Lord probably let us. But if he's going to do it, he can do it so much quicker and so much easier, and we can stand still and watch. At Ai, remember the Israelites, before this battle, before Achan had taken some things, and they, were, they lost the battle. After they repented, they repented and then went into battle and won. Uh, the Midianites came against Gideon. And what did Gideon do? How did he win the battle? He broke a pitcher, shone a light, and blew a trumpet. Didn't even have swords. 
Goliath, David slung a stone. So all of these are different ways that they won battles. Uh, there was the Philistines. David was going against the Philistines, and God told him, wait till you hear the goings in the top of the mulberry trees. So I imagine they're just standing still listening. What a way, what a, what a battle strategy. Um, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meunites came against Israel, and the nation fasted. Then after they fasted, God told them what to do, and they put the singers first. Can you imagine that battle? So the praise team leads the soldiers into battle singing, and there was victory. Now, I'm just asking, if they had sung at the next battle, do you think they would have won the victory? Because, probably not, because it was a certain strategy for a certain battle. So the weapons are varied. The methods are varied. What you used in the last battle may not be the same weapon of choice for this battle. But C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote, said, God who foresaw your tribulations has specially armed you to go through it, not without pain, but without stain. So God will give you the battle plan. Sometimes he'll give you specific instructions that sound ridiculous. Has God ever done that to you? You think, I feel, I feel to do a certain way and it sounds a little bit crazy. Brother uh, Labanon testified the other night that God had instructed him to walk every night around Simon's house. I'm thankful his neighbor is Sister Queet. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, the neighbors would be like, what is that man doing? We've got friends that carried an empty baby car seat waiting on the promise of God. No, y'all had somebody in your church that did that too, carried an empty baby. But we don't all do that. We don't all walk around houses. Battle strategies don't always make sense. But when we do what God tells us to do, we'll be victorious. I love the song we sing, This Is How I Fight My Battles. If you read those words on the screen, it's talking about communion. Participating in communion is a battle strategy. If you need healing, that's how you go to battle. You make sure you're taking communion. Joshua knew that they were going to take the city of Jericho, but God hadn't given him the battle plan yet. So he did what he knew to do. Joshua was a military man. He had already been told, we're going into Canaan, and every, every place you step, every place your footsteps is yours. So he knew they would be victorious, but he didn't know how God was going to bring that victory. So he did what he knew to do. He sent spies in to spy out the land. He made preparations. So when we're in spiritual warfare, spy, fighting a spiritual battle, there are things we already know to do while we wait on specific instructions from God. We don't stand by silently wringing our hands, thinking battle's going to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We don't talk about our trials and tribulations on social media. We don't tell everybody how bad we've got it. We do what we know to do. God orders our steps. He tells us what our, our strategy is. A few ways that we, we fight spiritual warfare and I'm just reminding you of all this. First way, number way, number one way is prayer on our knees. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power of prayer. We think we've prayed about it, and all we've done is complain about it. Prayed about it. Continuous, unrelenting prayer, petitioned with faith, can break down any stronghold. Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Because First Peter tells us that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. Sometimes God is waiting on us to pray. And I'm not going to talk too much about this because pastors taught several lessons on it. But prayer is a legal thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a legal thing. 
God is not the God of this world. Satan is the God of this world. So for God to come into my world, for God to come to this world, I have to give him access, and that's what prayer does. Prayer says, God, you come through me and, and fix this situation. You come through me and fight this situation. I found this and thought it was neat. She prayed. She heard news that brought panic, so she prayed. She didn't know what to do or where to turn or where to go next, so she prayed. Worry was fiercely fighting for the space solely reserved for her peace, so she prayed. Loneliness was beginning to suffocate, and purpose seemed a long way off, so she prayed. She felt scared and confused, and yet she knew that her powerful God had not given her a spirit of fear and was certainly not one of confusion, so she prayed. Hurt and anger were battling for her heart's attention, so she prayed. She desperately needed wisdom in her current situation, so she prayed. She was longing for light, sick of the dark, so she prayed. She needed answers, so she prayed. She needed him, so she prayed. She knew that in his presence was everything she could ever need and ever desire. Fullness of joy, contentment and peace, wisdom and direction, comfort and healing, love, assurance, nourishment, strength for the day and grace for the moment, and she needed them all, so she prayed. She prayed. I love that. I love that. Prayer changes the atmosphere. I don't fight the devil on his territory. First of all, I don't go into his territory. But we can change the battleground. When Satan comes against you, take him, make him come to your territory. Make, get him off his, off his game. Don't go where he is. Make him come to you. Uh, did you know that eagles eat snakes? That is so nasty. That's gross. But anyway... An eagle will swoop down. He doesn't get the snake, keep the snake on the ground. He swoop, y'all nodding your head, y'all already knew this. I didn't know this. An eagle will swoop down, grab the snake, and take it into the air. And the snake, once it's in the air, doesn't have any stamina. He's up in an atmosphere. He has no power. He has no balance. He's useless. He's weak. He's vulnerable. On the ground, he's powerful and deadly. But when that eagle changes the atmosphere, when he changes the battleground, the snake loses his power. So when we take this fight, this spiritual fight that we're in, when we take it into a different atmosphere, when we take it into a spiritual realm, the enemy's out of his comfort zone. So change the battleground and watch God take over. I'm telling the devil, if you're coming after me, you're going to have to come to the house of God to get me. If you're coming after me, you're going to have to come through my worship music. If you come through me, you're going to have to, for me, you're going to have to come through praise. You're going to have to come through an area that you're not comfortable in because I'm going to change the atmosphere. Prayer changes the battleground. Second thing we do is fasting. There are battles that can only be won through fasting. There are battles as powerful as prayer is. There are some battles that prayer alone will not win. You have to couple fasting with it. Mark gives the account of a father that wanted healing for his son. And the disciples tried to heal him and couldn't do it. And Jesus cast the devil out of him. And the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, these things come out only by prayer and fasting. So there is a spiritual realm. There is a fight. There is a spiritual warfare, spiritual fight that takes prayer coupled with fasting to conquer. We need to know that. God can tell you that. That's why we ask. There are battles that won't be won through prayer alone, but we have to have fasting because fasting breaks a yoke off of our life. Isaiah said, is this not the fast that I have chosen? 
to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. You can ask God this battle that I'm in, and the Lord will talk to you. Now, I'm not saying maybe he does this to you. I've never heard the Lord's voice audibly. Maybe he speaks to you. I know some people keep him really busy with him speaking. He speaks to them so much, he doesn't have time to talk to the rest of us. But somebody needs to. It's spirit to spirit. You can get a feeling of, I need to fast. That's the Lord letting you know. To win this battle, you're going to have to couple fasting with your prayer. Fasting and prayer. It's a powerful, powerful duo. Another way that we fight is worship. One of the most valuable lessons my mom taught me was that you can worship your way through anything. You can worship. Some of my most fervent worship is times of my greatest desperation. Because I'm, worship unlocks that high place. Worship unlocks a high place that fear can't get to. Worship unlocks a high place that lies can't get to. Worship unlocks a high place that nothing in this world can get to. I may not have all the answers, but if I can get to that place, I can get that place unlocked through worship. God floods my soul with peace and with joy. So learn to practice the art of faithful worship, even when you don't feel like it, even when you can't feel God. We still worship. We still worship. We worship. Another powerful weapon is, and I know I'm just reminding you all of stuff you already know, is the Word of God. The Word of God, the sword of the Lord, the sword of God, the armor of God, entrusted to us is eternal. His Word is eternal. It's not attached. Our Bible, the Word of God, is not attached to a single victory. It's not an isolated victory. It brings victory in every battle because it's proven itself time and time and time again. Hebrews 11 and 3 says, Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. That word worlds means period of time. It means eons. It means ages. So my period of time, my, God doesn't view time like we do. But his word frames my time. That means my life. So his word, my life, is framed by his word. So it's before me, and it's after me, and it's over me, and it's under me. Think of a picture frame that completely goes around. I am completely surrounded by the word of God. And Jesus said in John 15 and 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. The Word of God. The Word of God. Don't just read the Word of God. Receive it like it's iron coming into your blood. Calcium coming into your blood, into your bones. We've already, we already know this, but the Word uh, is God-breathed. This is God exhaling. And when He exhales, we need to inhale. When He breathes out that Word, then we inhale and we take it in. It's the Word of God, and we can stand on the Word of God. Stand. Now, we have to take it in context. I was telling Sister Vicki and Sister Hannah, read a cute little thing the other day. I'm all about praying the word. But I found a little meme that says, I can, do, I can do anything through a misapplied scripture. So we have to apply the scripture correctly. But we can stand on the word of God. You read it in context. You find something that applies to you, and you pray that word. Sometimes the battle is short. And sometimes it's quickly won. Sometimes it's a quick thing and we're through it. Whew. If I'm going to have to go to battle, I like those. But sometimes it's a siege. Sometimes it's a long struggle. Sometimes you're in a struggle 
that if I can say it correctly, where you understand, sometimes you don't even know you're in the battle till you're in the middle of it. And then you look back and realize, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, I've been in it for a while. And you're walking through, and it becomes a way of life. Just, have you ever, anybody ever been there? It's a siege, it's a long thing. And sometimes you may not even realize when you fought it for so long, you may, and you're so accustomed to that heaviness and that warring and that being on guard and that pushing back and that pushing, you become so accustomed to that that sometimes the victory comes and you don't realize it. And you continue to fight and you don't realize God's already given you the victory. Uh, Sister Whitney wrote an article about this on her blog, and I've asked her to come and share it with us because she can say it so much better than I can. I love that. That was wonderful. Thank you for giving us the tools how to fight like a lady, which in my opinion is the best way to fight. There's a bunch of you. Ooh, hello. Okay. Um, so she asked if I would speak just a little bit about when it's time to lay our weapons of warfare down and live in victory. Um, some of you may know or remember nearly 10 years ago now, I went through a um, spiritual attack. It was, um, you know, just horrible. It was um, drenched in fear. Then uh, one night in a prayer meeting, pastor called me up to the front, and he shared just a tiny bit about what I was going through, and then he had the church pray. And Sister Vicki, I love you forever. <laughs> she was one of the ones surrounding me, and God gave her a word that delivered me. And um, it was my turning point. It was triumph. God delivered me, freed me, and I was victorious. But then a few weeks later, I fell back into some of my old patterns. I felt covered by that same fear and oppression, and I started feeling hopeless and defeated. And uh, one night in desperation, Timothy and I called my dad. He stayed and prayed with us for a while and then said something that felt really confusing. And to be honest, it kind of made me mad. I didn't tell him that, but I'm sure he knew because he knows me. But he said that I had been freed, I did have the victory, but I had slipped back into my old patterns of behavior and thought processes, and now it was time for me to change. Ooh, yeah. You feel me? Like, that, that was not what I wanted to hear. I had been heroically battling the devil for months, and I didn't want it to be my fault now because, you know, but it actually kind of was. And now, 10 years later, I get it. I understand what he was meaning. The war was over, yet I was still firmly planted in the battlefield. I was cowering and ducking from imagined attacks. I was swinging at a defeated enemy. I can't help but think of Eleazar, who fought the Philistines. Um, he was the one until the blood congealed on his hand and his sword was stuck to his hand. Um, super gross. But that was me. I had fought until I couldn't let go of my sword. I didn't even notice it was still in my hand. It was just a part of me. I lived in defense instead of offense. I used the same coping mechanisms in victory as I had resorted to in war. That particular battle had been a spiritual oppression and fear. I um, used to see like beings around our home, and I couldn't walk to the car by myself without just nearly crying in fear, picturing, you know, what would happen to me in the 10 seconds to my car. Um, I remember my mom offering to send my 10-year-old brother over to hang out in the living room so I could take a shower. That's a low. Like, <laughs> that, that's a low. But I felt like I was barely surviving during the battle, 
And then victory came, and I felt a distinct change that night. I felt it. I knew I was victorious, but I just kept waking up and slipping back into those old habits. This sounds completely bizarre, but my pain had become comfortable. It was familiar. I didn't know what life would be like without it, so I slipped back into it. I lived defeated and at war, swinging at an enemy that wasn't there anymore. Has anyone felt that way before? Amen. You're worried about money because you don't have enough to pay the bills, but once you finally reach a stable place, you still can't shed that worry because it's the only way you know how to look at your finances. Or you have a strained uh, marriage or relationship. You don't know how to talk to each other without bickering or criticizing. You can have a good come-to-Jesus talk and get on the same page, but that's scary because tension is all you know. It can be impossible to imagine a lasting change. It's just easier to stick with what you've got. It can be scary to go forward in victory. When you go through a time of battle or a hard season, you have to find ways to cope and survive. Now, I am surely not equating my children to a season of battle, but some days I feel like I am just surviving the endless questions and concerns and tears from one and the screams and flails and strong will of the other. You guys can guess. Um, just go with me here. This is the first example that I thought of because it's just pretty much my life right now. But in this season of life, we have to work consistently with our littlest one to behave and not pterodactyl scream or swat at people. Uh, you're giggling because she's done that to all of you. I know. Um, oftentimes, I'm just exhausted and weary, and I get in the car as soon as I can after church is over, and I just take her home so it can be crazy in privacy. Um, in this season, so we limit some of our social outings because it's just easier. We don't always bring her to family dinner because it's just easier. It's what we need to do in this. We don't leave her at home by herself. <laughs> that sounded horrible. We split up. <laughs> like, you've got Sela, I'm eating dinner. But, you know, it's just, it's what we need to do in this season. It, but it's not sustainable. We need community. We love staying after church and talking, hanging out with friends, eating at actual restaurants. But someday she will get a little bigger, grow up a little more, accept and understand discipline better, I think, I hope. But if we're not careful, we uh, can get into the groove and habit and routine of some of our current actions. We have to remind ourselves that this is a season. This is just what we need to do. It has a purpose and a definitive end in sight. And when it is over, we will have to be intentional about living the way we want to again, staying later, going out more, inviting people over again. I think it is wise how to figure out how not to only fight a battle, but how to cope and survive in a hard season. But it's crucial to be able to lay those weapons down, shed those coping mechanisms and habits when victory is won and the season is over. The way you survive in war doesn't translate well to life in victory. The battle is the Lord's to win, but victorious life is ours to live. He isn't going to step in and make us live in victory. He is offered to win every battle, shield you from every fiery dart, help carry every heavy load and give you rest, but you have to take it. One of my favorite verses that God gave me during one of my battles was Romans 5 and 5, and hope maketh not ashamed. So that um, chapter starts with verse 1, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So in that verse there, tribulation means pressure, anguish, persecution, trouble. Has anyone been there? Any of those? Yeah. Worketh means to work fully, accomplish, to finish, or to cause. So tribulation worketh patience. Patience means cheerful or hopeful endurance, constancy. And patience, experience. That word means approved or tried. That word is the same as the word proof in 2 Corinthians 2 and 9. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. And experience worketh hope, expectation, confidence, and faith. If we let God, he can use our tribulation, our anguish, to finish and accomplish, accomplish patience in our lives, cheerful and hopeful endurance. And that patience, that constancy, works or accomplishes experience. We come out of it approved and tried. We made it. We did it. And that experience works hope. Hope. The word that we can't live without if we're going to win our battles. Hope is perfected at the end. Patience comes in the middle, being constant and consistent and trusting. But hope flourishes after our experience. It is, up to live, it is up to us to live in that hope and in our victory. Verse 5 says, Hope maketh not ashamed. God revealed that verse to me when I was in a hurting season with a loved one. Um, we, um, promises were made and then broken, and pain was inflicted on both sides. We were both in church, and we loved God. It was just a lot of miscommunication and wounds. Has anyone ever been there? Just someone you just keep just hurting each other. I had made up in my mind that it was easier to accept that that relationship would just be defined by hurt. I didn't want to keep trying to mend the situation and look like a fool when I got hurt again. But God spoke that verse to me, not audibly, to my spirit, and it changed everything. Hope maketh not ashamed. Hope is a gift from God. It is a result from pain, of tribulation and anguish. He chose hope to be the end of that path. And no matter what, I would never be wrong choosing hope. I could never be ashamed because I'm living in what God laid out for me. When the battle is over, don't dwell in the what ifs. Don't stare at what it, looked like, what it looks like. It takes time to rebuild walls and plant new crops after the ravages of war. Don't stare at your burnt surroundings and pull out a cot and just remain there. Hope, even if you can't see it. Even if it feels so outlandish and even hopeless, hope is the result of tribulation. Dwell in that. Amen. You will never have anything to be ashamed about by living as if your answer is already here. When the battle, the season, the struggle is over, throw your weapons down and step out in hope. Living in chaos comes with so much adrenaline. And then peace comes with rest and hope and joy. The enemy wants to step back in and fill that void left by the absence of chaos. Let's refuse him that right. Let's not allow him that power. Let's accept our victory wholeheartedly. Let's release our weapons, shed our old good-for-nothing habits, and let God replace that fear with rejoicing, Amen. and then live in it and choose victory. Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Swinging at a defeated 
foe, a defeated enemy. I love that line. Love that line. We, uh, we need to know when the battle's over. That's another thing. I know this, uh, this stuff that I'm saying is simplistic, but ask the Lord, am I done? Because <laughs> sometimes we don't know yet. We don't know yet. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. The last tip I want to leave you with is to know who you are in Christ. Too many times as women, <clears throat> we've believed the lie that we're inferior, we're weak, or we're worthless. Lucifer and hundreds of millions of angels rebelled, and God kicked him out of heaven. He said, you have no hope for redemption. That's it. You're gone. Two humans in a garden sinned. And what did God do? He moved heaven and earth. He came to earth in flesh, gave his life, and died to redeem them, to redeem us. So don't tell, let hell tell you that you're not valuable. We are so valuable. We're a citizen of a kingdom that can't be shaken. We're a child of a king that has no limitations. I'm going to tell you, to spend the last couple minutes here just telling you who you are because you need to know who you are when you step into this arena, when you step into this battlefield. The devil is already defeated. The devil is already defeated. You are a daughter that's loved by a father who is without rival. You're entrusted with a message and a promise beyond compare in a time that's without precedent. We've been chosen for such a time as this. We live in an exciting, I know we, a lot of people fuss about our time that we're living in. It is an exciting time to live. We've been chosen for this moment. It's both great and terrible, but we've been chosen for it. And so for this very reason, we must love fearlessly. We've got to believe outrageously and hope, as Whitney said, without measure. Uh, in our culture today, love is a soft word, but in the kingdom of God, love is a war cry. And so we fight on as women. We fight. We serve. We encourage. We work. We pray. We change diapers, and we change the world. And we do it through love because we're women of God, because that's what we do. That's who we are. We're beautiful. You all are beautiful. You're fierce-hearted, and you cannot be defeated. Say, I cannot be defeated. Now, that was pitiful. I'm just telling you. Now, say it like you truly believe it. I cannot be defeated. Because who are you talking about when you say I? You're not talking about through your own strength. You're talking about God in me. Do we believe that God can be defeated? Of course not. God lives in me. God in me cannot be defeated. God is fighting for us. Our choir sings this song. He's pushing back the darkness, lighting up a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, the enemy's already defeated. And so we shout it out. God has defended you in battles that you didn't even know about. So I pray tonight that you're encouraged and that you are, uh, it will resonate with you that you are strong. You're stronger than you think. You've got all of the weapons of heaven at your disposal. God will make you victorious. God will make you victorious. Will you stand? Let's pray. I'm going to pray over you. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for this night. I thank you for this group of ladies. God, I thank you for this church family. God, I thank you for women that are strong, women that are resolute. God, women that are determined. God, we're going to live for you 
all of our life. God, I submit and surrender to your will for my life. God, I give you my all. I lay it all before you, Jesus. God, work through us. Work through us, Lord. Have your way through us. God, every battle that we fight, I pray, Lord, that it would be ordained by you. God, I pray that you would instruct us in our way, Lord. Instruct us which battles to engage in. And when we do engage, when you tell us to engage, Lord, I pray that you would give us the weapon that we would listen to you, Lord, that we would listen to your voice, that we would seek your face, God, through prayer, through fasting, through worship, through reading your word. God, that we would seek your face and be armed to fight a battle victoriously. God, I pray for these ladies, the ladies that are among us that have walked through a long valley, a long a long battle, God, I pray that you would overshadow them even now. God, give them strength. Lift them up and encourage them, I pray, Lord. Let them be reminded of the hope that is in you. God, give them sunlight this day. God, let them realize that the end is in sight. God, that you are with them. God, that your word frames their ages, Lord, that you are behind them and before them. God, on either side, your word says that goodness and mercy are following them, Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage and lift up some lady even now. God, give him new, new power to fight, new power to walk. Lord, a fresh anointing, I pray, Jesus. God, I pray for our children and our grandchildren that are coming after us. God, I pray that you would help us to be strong for them, Lord, that you would help us to be strong warriors, that you would help us, God, to be the example that you've asked us to be, Lord. God, I want to be everything that you want from me. I want you to be pleased with my life. Be pleased with us, God, with the words that we speak. Lord, with the places that we go, the things that we do, the work of our hands, I pray, God, that it would find, you would find pleasure in it, Lord. Your word says that you sing over us, God. I pray that you're singing over us now with joy. God, I pray for fresh strength, added strength. God, I pray that you would lift up weary hands and strengthen build bended backs, God. I pray, Lord, that your anointing would be upon every one of us. In Jesus' sweet name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Can we worship him? Lord, I praise you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Set